Well, let's turn to John uh, chapter uh, 21. John chapter 21. The further you go on in life, the more likely you are to have regrets. Maybe it's the things that we did before we became a Christian. Maybe it's the length of time it took for us to come to these truths, and we think, why did we waste those years? Or there's times we wish we could rewind time and undo things that we've done. Or sometimes it's the things that we've done after we've come to Christ that bring deeper waves of regret. Perhaps sins that we've fallen into. Perhaps opportunities that we've missed. And we can begin to doubt sometimes God's attitude to us, to question His love for us, to question, has God still a use for me? Or have I blown it? Well, we're we're confident we'll get to heaven because we know Jesus loses none of His, but can we be much use on earth, we might think. And maybe there's certain things trigger your regret. A fleeting echo of the past. And regret washes over you as you think about it. And as you remember that you can't undo the past. I wonder if Peter had regret triggers. I wonder what happened each morning when he heard the cock crow. Did it drag him back to that dark moment when he had denied his Savior, not once, but three times. I wonder what went through Peter's mind that Friday of the crucifixion, and then the Saturday morning, as he wakes up, hears the cock crowing, and he realizes it wasn't a nightmare. It was all true, and Jesus is dead, and I denied knowing him. And the horrible series of flashbacks, perhaps, the servant girl, the charcoal fire, the crowd of people, the one, two, three questions, the glance from Jesus that broke him, the sound of the cock crowing. Well, is there a place for Peter's? In this section, Jesus deals with Peter, and there's three things that he does that we want to look at this morning. First of all, Jesus deals with Peter's past. Jesus deals with Peter's past. The scene is carefully set. It's filled with echoes of Peter's years with Jesus. Jesus has brought them to Galilee where it all started. The first meeting between Jesus and Peter was marked by a miraculous catch of fish. So is this one. On that occasion, Jesus called Peter to follow him. And he's going to do the same here. But there are more echoes. We read in verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. A particular word that's used is for a charcoal fire. And this fire is an echo of the previous fire, the one that we read of in John 18 in the courtyard. It too was a a charcoal fire. 
John 18, 18, Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves, and Peter was with them. There they were all round a fire, and now they're all round a fire again. Jesus and Peter and others. And Jesus asks a question, echoing the questions that Peter was asked round that fire. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? More than these, that's another echo. Another echo of that dark night, because before they went to Gethsemane, Jesus had said the disciples would run away. And Peter said, although they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Those ones will do it, but I won't. Now Jesus echoes that again. Do you truly love me more than these? More than they do? He brings back Peter's ghastly, hollow boast. He brings it right out into the open around the fireside in front of the men before whom Peter had made that boast. And horror of horrors, Jesus asks the same question, not just once, but three times, deliberately echoing the three times he was asked, do you know this man? Are you not also one of his disciples? And he takes Peter back to the sorriest, saddest, most shameful moment of Peter's life. He shows the magnitude of Peter's boast and the awfulness of Peter's failure. Jesus seems to be rubbing salt into a raw wound. But he has a loving purpose. He's disinfecting what could become a putrefying sore. And he's brought Peter back to Galilee where it all began, because before the past could be put to rest, it has to be faced. And so Jesus takes Peter back into that night. He does it gently. And each time he asks Peter a question, he gives Peter an instruction that re reinstates him to his role as one of his apostles. But as he asks the question the third time, I think the significance hits Peter. And he's grieved at that moment as he realizes it's the third time that he's asked. And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And what Jesus is doing is dealing with Peter's past. The failure had been public. And now Jesus deals with him publicly so that the others could see and hear Jesus restoring him. And here's the wonder. Here is the wonder of what it is to have Jesus as your Savior. Here is the wonder of grace. Here's the wonder of forgiveness that Jesus gives. No matter our sin, no matter how deeply wounding it is to Jesus, here he is restoring us. We don't need to hide or be destroyed by guilt or fear. We can say to him with Peter, Lord, you know everything. He knew Peter's failures. He knew Peter's lies. 
He knew Peter's swearing oaths, that he didn't know Jesus. Don't know him, no connection with him. Don't even know that man. Never mind loving him. But Jesus also knew Peter's heart. He knew the bitter regret and the repentance. You know, the further you go on in the Christian life, the finer tuned our souls become to sin. Things that we wouldn't have regarded as serious now trouble us. Things that people around us would say, you're being too hard on yourself. Will you ever lighten up? That doesn't mean we're always conscious of our sin and there's times we can motor through day after day, not acknowledging our guilt. But we know increasingly what sin is. And is there a place? Is there a place for hopeless sinners? Is there a place for hopeless Peters? We can say, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. Is there any human being that you could say that to? You know everything about me. That they know your darkest, bleakest moments. That they know your vilest, foulest thoughts. That you would be confident that you could expose everything to them. And they wouldn't look at you with horror. Yet Jesus does. He knows everything. All of it. Every single last ghastly failure, every foul, unutterable thought, every selfish moment that we don't express, that we put a, a good face over, all of it, all of it. And here's the wonder of grace. We have a Savior who knows everything about us. And He stands before us, not asking, what on earth did you do that for? But do you love me? He knows all of it. And instead of us having to ask him, do you still love me? He simply asks us, despite your sin, despite all that's there, where's your heart? He has forgiveness for Peter and he has forgiveness for you and for me. And he wants Peter to know it, to know that the past is past. Each Denial is tenderly washed clean, the wound cleansed. And when Satan comes to you and casts your past, maybe even your recent past, up in front of you and says, are you even a Christian? We can say what Peter would say when Satan would cast it up to him. My Lord knows everything. He knows the worst about me. And he's forgiven me. That's what we can say. He knows everything. You know, the old uh, Puritan uh, preachers used to say that sin can't be beaten until it's forgiven. Progress can't be made until sin is pulled out into the open. Either its guilt will gnaw away at us and pull us further into sin or its attraction will always get us. And that's what Jesus does for Peter and for us. He pulls our past out into the open. We can face up to it and say, yes, I did this, I've thought this, I've been this. And in some ways, here's the true climax of John's gospel. John has had his little summary passage at the end of chapter 20. But 
Here's the true climax. Here's the acid test of grace. Yes, John started off saying that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, is He full of grace? Does He have grace for Peter's? Someone who knew Him and yet denied knowing Him, who let Him down in His darkest moment. Is He full of grace, really? Well, absolutely. He's abounding in grace. He's abounding in grace. Here is a sinner finding forgiveness. Fear is finished for Peter. And in doing so for Peter, he does it for us all. I came across a quote this week from another preacher. David never wrote a psalm about his victory over Goliath. But he did write one about his affair with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. And then the the preacher says this, Perhaps David knew that people like us need less encouragement about how to topple our giants and more about God's grace for us when we fail. Jesus deals with Peter's heart. Do you love me? He asked him. Lord, You know everything. You know everything. Secondly, Peter or Jesus challenges Peter's heart. Jesus challenges Peter's heart. Do you love me? He asks. He didn't ask, Do you know me? Are you one of my disciples? Or what will you do to make up for this? He didn't ask those sorts of questions. But do you love me? That's what Jesus is interested in. He doesn't ask about what Peter would do to make up for the damage he'd done. He doesn't ask what Peter's abilities are that he can use to serve Jesus. Those aren't the key things that Jesus is looking for. Not what we do for him, but our relationship with him. That's the key factor. That's what Jesus came for. He didn't doesn't need our hands. He doesn't need our feet to go please. He doesn't need our tongues and our lips to speak for him. He may use all of those things. And he doesn't even need our hearts, but he wants our hearts. He came to bring us to himself. That's what he came for. So that we could enjoy the greatest blessing. And he asks Peter, do you love me? Does he have your heart? Do you delight in him? That's a necessary question for diagnosing the Christian life. It's a vital question. Jesus says in John 14, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. That's a promise. Enablement to keep his commands comes out of love for him. If you love me, it's not just a challenge. It's a promise. You will keep my commands. What a wonderful encouragement. There's the fuel that drives the Christian life. And so Jesus asks Peter here, do you love me? And it's vital for us because it cuts through so much. It cuts through as we've seen our failures. And it cuts through our complacency. It cuts through our failures. 
I wonder how much doubt riddled Peter's thinking. Am I really a Christian? Am I really a follower? How could I be a follower of Jesus after what I've done? Maybe I've been kidding myself. There's so much about himself that he didn't know. And we're like that. And we second guess ourselves. Did I, did I really trust Jesus? Or was I just kidding myself? Did I, did I do it just because I wanted to avoid hell or because Jesus matters to me? And maybe you've been struggling and failing. And maybe even questioning your own relationship with God as you look at your behavior. But no, Jesus says, look at me. Look at me. Do you love me? Our own hearts are like a maze. And trying to navigate them can be treacherous. But this question helps us. Do you love him? And even Peter's answer, there's encouragement. He says yes twice, but then the third time, when he's most struck by the power of the question, he says, you know all things. You know I love you. It's as if he doesn't even trust himself and his own heart. He says, Lord, you can see into the mess of my life and you can see into the mess of the confusion and you know what I really feel. You know that deep down I do love you. There's something wonderful here. Jesus sees Peter and all his boasting and all his bravado and all his fear and all his regret and he sees past it and he sees right into the, the core of Peter's heart and he knows that Peter loves him. Like a parent receives a note from their child and it's full of spelling mistakes. There's back to front letters and there's a little picture that looks nothing like you and they're scribbling outside the lines and it says, I love you, Baddy. And you know that it's meant to say, I love you, Daddy. And we see the love that's there despite all the error and our Savior's the same. And there's a, a comfort for our hearts here, isn't there? As Jesus speaks to Peter with this challenge. But there's more than a comfort. There's a challenge for us too. And a challenge for Peter. Because it cuts through not only our failures, but it cuts through our complacency. Our complacency. Do we love Christ? Are we growing in love for Christ? That should be something that happens in the Christian life, that we, we grow in our delight in Christ. Christianity isn't simply a transaction. Here, Jesus, there's my sin, and I get heaven. Great. Well, cheerio, and I'll see you when I die. That's a transaction. But no, it's a relationship that started with this transaction, but is continued by relationship where we delight and grow in our knowledge and love of our Savior. And maybe we struggle with that idea. Maybe they we're so used to the word love being this mushy, romantic word. But think of the person closest to you that, that you're not romantically uh, connected to. A close friend, somebody that you delight in. Somebody that you enjoy their company. You enjoy talking to them. You enjoy the depths of their character. They're, they're endlessly fascinating. They're completely reliable. They've done anything and everything for you. And you love them. You delight in them. It's the idea here. 
does Christ mean that much to us? And we could be challenged in lots of areas in the Christian life to do much for Christ. But we will only do much for Christ in proportion to how much He means to us. Do you love me? Jesus says to us today. And maybe we need to come and we need to say, Lord, help me to love you more. Help me to love you more. I've been reading the biography of a a fantastic Irish missionary, a man called Gideon Oosley. And the, the author says it was difficult on such occasions when he heard Oosley pray to determine whether the love of lost men and women or the love of Christ predominated. My gracious master. My gracious master, he would say. And then it always went alongside. Oh, poor lost sinners. Oh, my deluded countrymen. Lord, save my country. My gracious master. He loved his Savior. And he did astonishing things. Trekking the length and breadth of this, uh, of this land uh, to preach about Christ. Being pelted with bricks in Uh, streets going into a marketplace on horseback and preaching uh, to the crowds on a market day. Why did he do it? He loved his Savior. This is what drives the Christian life. Here's the challenge for us. Jesus comes to you today and says, do you love me? And, And how can we grow in love for our Savior? Well, we can ask him, help me to love you more. Help me to love you more. We can consider him. An old Puritan, a writer called Thomas Vincent, in a lovely book called The The Christian's Love to the Unseen Christ. That's the name of it. The Christian's Love to the Unseen Christ. He says, think what he has done for you. Think what he has suffered for you. Think what he has purchased for you. Think what he has promised to you. Think what he has laid out for you, what he's spread out before you in life now. And think what he has laid up for you, what he has stored up for you in heaven. Think about him. Pray, Lord, help me to love you more. Think about all that he is and all that he's done and all that he is doing and all that he will do. Consider him. Maybe something you could do is to help you consider him is to, to pick a book on Jesus and to read a book about Jesus every year. And read a book about him or a book about the cross every year. Do you love me? He asks here. Here's a challenge for Peter and a challenge for us. And there's something lovely when you read Peter's letters. In 1 Peter 1 verse 8, Peter says about these Christians he's writing to, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. These people that he wrote to loved his Savior. Jesus challenges Peter's heart. And then, to close, Jesus commissions Peter's future. Jesus deals with Peter's past. Jesus challenges Peter's heart and comforts Peter's heart, and Jesus commissions Peter's future. What does the future hold for Peter? Has he any usefulness? 
He had been one of the favorite disciples. You know how you've got a favorite mug? Uh, sorry, I don't mean, <laughs> don't mean that Peter was Jesus' favorite mug. <laughs> you know how you have a favorite cup and it gets chipped and it's cracked and it's not fit for purpose anymore, but you don't want to throw it out, so you put it in the cupboard and it sits there on the shelf and it gets further to the back and further to the back and it sits there and it's never used. Is that what's going to happen to Peter? Yes, a favored disciple, but actually chipped and broken and no use anymore. Or Peter might have been fearing that he would catastrophically fail again. Isn't that our great fear, that we'll foul up again and let Jesus down a bucketful? And Jesus has three words for Peter. Words that show him that he has a role, that he has a future and what he needs to do. These three things, a word Jesus has about Peter's role, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus entrusts to Peter his precious sheep, his little lambs. Peter's failure has not relegated him to uselessness. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus has important work for him to do. And his important work for you and for me to do. And Peter's failure will equip him better to feed those lambs, to nourish those sheep, to guard those sheep. And in 1 Peter 5, he calls with his great wisdom to the people of God to walk humbly because he knows what it's like to walk proudly and to fall. And he says, watch out for Satan. Because he knows what it's like not to watch out for Satan. And he calls them to suffer for a little while. Because he knows what it's like to suffer for a little while. He knows what it's like. And he uses all of his experience of failure to feed and nourish and guard the sheep. And whilst this is a special call to Peter as a pastor to shepherd God's people, it's a call that comes to all of us to feed his sheep to care for his people, to seek the lost sheep, to tend the sheep, to feed hungry sheep. Notice how important they are to Jesus. My, my lambs, my sheep. It's our privilege to be an example to these little ones, to pray for them, to share God's word with them. It's our privilege to pray for the person next to you, in front of you, to share God's Word with them, to speak in conversation or in the Bible study, or in kindness to encourage, to care, to lift up your fellow Christian. God has a role for us, and oftentimes it's our failures and our weaknesses that God uses to help you to feed His sheep. A word about His role. He also has a word about his faithfulness. You know everything, Peter had said. It's as if Peter doesn't even know if I really do love him. I love you right now, Lord, but maybe tomorrow I'll foul up again. Or maybe next month I'll disown you again. And Jesus gives Peter a sneak peek of the future. And it's a future 
Well, we mightn't want to know our future the way Peter has his future told him. He's told how he's going to die. Would you like to know how you're going to die? But actually, that's what Peter needed to know. Peter could have lived in fear that when the pressure came on, he would crumble and crack again. He had boasted he would lay down his life for Jesus. And would he run away again, afraid and scared? And it could have haunted him. It could have led him to have led a life of cowering fear, not witnessing, not speaking for Jesus. It could have led him to, to crumble under pressure again because he wouldn't have known or, could I, or to avoid any pressure lest he crumble again. And Jesus shows him that he will indeed, indeed lay down his life for him. He says, in a phrase that echoes what happens in a crucifixion, he says, when you were young, you dressed yourself, yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. John tells us that this was to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. Peter would lay down his life for his Savior. He would glorify God by laying down his life. He would finish well. Now, Jesus doesn't give each of us that specific insight into our death. But he, well, Peter is only going to finish well because Jesus is going to keep him going to the end. And in 1 Peter 5, well, 1 Peter 1 verse 5, Peter explains this to us. He speaks about the inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being kept by God's power. Wow. We are being kept. We are being shielded by God's power. We don't need to be fearful that something will come and derail us. Yes, Peter says we need to be watchful, but we don't need to be fearful. We can have confidence that as we seek to follow Jesus, He will keep us by His power not by our power. So that frees us from fear to follow. And that's the third word, a word about focus. What's Peter to do? Focus on his strength? Focus on the threats? Focus on the pressures? No. Jesus says to him, follow me. Follow me. That's it. Fix your eye on me. Follow me. Day by day, day after day, constantly, enduringly, follow me. Keep your eye on Jesus. And as you keep your eye on Jesus, you'll grow more to delight in Him. As you see more of who He is and what He's done and what He's doing and how He provides. As we follow Him, we'll love Him more and more and we'll keep going. And that's the secret fuel for following Jesus. As we grow in love for Him, That'll enable us to keep going no matter what the terrain is like. John is nearly finished showing us Jesus. And what a saviour he shows us. Full and overflowing with, with grace and truth. And so let us draw near with all our faults to find cleansing and restoration and fuel for living each day for our saviour as we follow him. Amen. Let's
bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, how we thank you for such a Savior. What astonishing grace. What magnificent forgiveness. And we thank you that it's not just for Peter, but for Peters like us, flawed, fallen sinners, that there is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in us. And thank you that he sees past all our wrestles and struggles, and he sees past our failing, and he sees to the core of our heart and to our love for him. Flawed in all as that is too. And thank you that he, he loves us and that he delights in us. And we thank you for his patience. And we thank you for his keeping. And we pray that you would help each of us to love him more and to delight in him more and to follow him better because of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.